1510 WMEX Quincy Boston and 101.1 FM W266DQ Quincy WMEX Quincy Boston streaming at WMEXBoston.com and on your smart speaker just say play WMEX The greatest hits of all time are back this is the all new WMEX WMEX Boston Legacy Legal Live Hosted by Kendra O'Toole, Michelle Reed, and Elizabeth Caruso of Legacy Legal Planning is a show about discussing your estate plans, options, and answering your questions. Call in at 781-834-9639 and start your lifelong partnership covered by benefits that you've earned through proper legacy planning. Now here's your hosts, Kendra, Michelle, and Elizabeth. Good evening. Thank you for joining us on with Legacy Legal Live. I am Kendra O'Toole. I'm Michelle Reed. And I am Elizabeth Russo. And we are the attorneys of Legacy Legal Planning in Norwell. And we are going to talk a bit tonight about our process when we meet with clients and they go through the estate planning experience with our office and as well as some um, true-false Mythbusters um, for the second half. But first, we wanted to say a big thank you to all of those in the community who came out to our holiday Pictures with Santa event. We think it was an absolute success. We had such a wonderful time. Families, the kiddos, all the vendors. So grateful for everyone uh, who showed up. And uh, we sent out those pictures, so we hope you enjoy them. And uh, keep an eye out on our social media. We have a few folks who are willingly letting us post the social, um, the Santa pictures. So thank you all. Brave souls. <laughs> we, had, we had quite a few uh, only adults only getting in there with Santa and Mrs. Claus. That's the way to do it. There you go. <laughs> it was a wonderful time. All right, so first we're going to talk about kind of the start of our process and what it usually looks like when we start working with a client. So generally, when a client calls our office, they do then schedule a 15-minute call with an attorney to discuss just a general get-to-know-you, get-to-know-what-you're-looking-for, what you think your goals might be, and what we can do in our process, we, we walk through this process with you in our 50-minute call to kind of just let you know a little bit about us and our firm. We give you some background about us as a firm and what we do and how estate planning would look like for that client if they were to work with us. Yeah, we love these 15-minute calls. When we first started, we, uh, we didn't do this. And we found that we had a lot of folks who had just kind of wanted to ask some initial questions kind of get to know us a little bit over over the phone before they kind of committed to a full meeting. And we found that it really um, puts folks at ease. So we actually really enjoy doing these 15 minutes calls. Some people will say, oh, we don't want to waste your time. We'll just hop right in. But um, we find that through this process, it's really helpful. And we can kind of give them a little heads up on what to expect from that initial meeting, uh, what they might want to be thinking about in the background before they get to the meeting. So it's it's a good opportunity to to get to know us, um, to prep a little bit for the longer meeting, and um, just to feel a bit, little bit more comfortable. And sometimes there are things that come up even in these 15-minute calls that might not necessarily relate to their estate plan, but might relate to some other legal issues that they might be having or dealing with. And it's a good time that we can also then make connections for that client with other people to help them with the other legal matters that we are not 
um, that we do not focus on in our firm. So it's a great tool to really just connect, get to know each other a little bit before jumping into that initial meeting. And then from that initial meeting, we're typically sending out a questionnaire that we're going to have you fill out so that we know really what we're talking about and the next meeting that we have is productive um, so that we can talk, you know, in an educated manner about your specific issues, your specific assets, and then tell you, you know, what happens with the probate process and things like that. You know, the next meeting, once we um, get that questionnaire back is a lot longer. It's typically an hour to like an hour and a half where we're talking about, you know, all of our, all the options that you're going to have. And I think sometimes people do ask, why do I have to fill out this intake beforehand? And we, we've tried to work on making our process a little easier and smoother for our clients to not have some of those feelings. But really, as you mentioned, Liz, that detail and just knowing, yes, how, how, what is your value in a sense? What are all your assets worth? And what's your family look like and whatnot? So that we have those conversations in that meeting, that initial meeting that's really educational based. It is based on your scenario. And we're not just talking in hypotheticals. I think that's actually the hardest meeting when, you know, if we don't have any information and we're just going off the rails in, oh, if this happens or this hypothetical, if you have this much money or if you have own a home if you don't own a home and it's like going through that process I think is more confusing for the clients so this really allows us to tailor it to your situation when we are educating on estate planning and the documents out there to help you yeah when I have that intake form in front of me I will literally go line by line and say okay this is your your real estate this is how it's owned this is what happens if we do Nothing. This is what happens if um, we change the type of ownership. This is what happens if we put it into a trust. And then I do the next with, you know, retirement accounts, life insurance policies, bank accounts, whatever it is that you have. I'm going line by line and telling you exactly what your options are for every single asset. And it can be really, really, really productive to have all that in front of you. I think this is a meeting that the clients feel that they kind of walked in knowing nothing. And I think a lot of clients say that. I don't know anything about this stuff. And we always kind of chuckle and say, we don't expect you to. This isn't something that we expect you to be well-versed in or that you should know all the ins and outs of a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy and a will. And so that is where we get to really help you understand in lay terms exactly what this plan can do because it is filled with a lot of legalese within the documents. So we really pare it down to exactly what it means for you and how it would work. Yeah, that's so well said, because I think even along those same lines, too, people think, oh, I, I don't know who I would name as my executor or personal representative. I don't know who I would want as a trustee. Do I need to know all that before I come into the first meeting? And we have a subset of clients who, yep, you know, we've got those type A's out there who already have those decisions. They know who they want named in certain capacities. And that's wonderful. But that's what this questionnaire helps us sort of parse out. Does a client need help talking about, okay, who would be best fit for this position, for this type of job? If we don't have to focus on that, we can focus our attention elsewhere on certain things that they they might not have decided yet. Like, okay, um, I've got the people in charge that I that I know I want, but maybe I'm I need some help determining how my adult children should be receiving their inheritance. They all have different, they're all in different situations in their lives and we want to make sure that we want to be fair, but 
we want to make sure that our assets pass the way that we want. So having that ability ahead of time is wonderful. It's just for us to meet you where you're at and focus the discussion going forward. And I think it helps for clients to really reflect on who they would like in certain positions and if they're the right person. I think I've spoken about this client before. He was, you know, naming his daughter to be the healthcare agent. And then we were talking about some of his wishes and he made it clear that he did not want any, you know, life sustaining support and anything to that nature as he just didn't view that to be a life if he ended up intubated or anything like that. And when we started talking about his daughter being that healthcare agent, being the one to make those decisions, he really sat back and reflected and then looked at me and said, my daughter would never be able to make that decision. She would keep me alive forever on a machine, even if I'm not, you know, there anymore, realistically, because that's just the love that she has for him. And she can't, he knows that she can't make that decision. And so we then worked through who in his life really is the right person that would honor his wishes and ensure that they're being followed if they ever had to step in to make that healthcare decision. Yeah, and those can be really, really important conversations to have. And, you know, they may not happen exactly at this meeting. They might happen at, you know, the second meeting that we'll get to in our process. Um, and it really just depends on, you know, what what stage of the planning process you are in, in your own mind. You know, and, you know, you talked previously, Kendra, that people come in at all different stages. And, you know, Michelle, you said we have some type A's and some people who don't know. So, you know, that conversation may or may not happen at this stage. Every meeting is different. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yes, there's the basic information that we do relay to every client but then every client has different assets different family situations different worker income situations and so every conversation and initial meeting that we have with potential clients really is a different meeting every time there's no you know straightforward oh, checklist of this is how it goes and this is what we go through yes we have that for ourselves in regard to the different types of documents and plans that can work for our clients, but each meeting then runs based on the client and their needs. And then to that point, the end results of this meeting is different for everybody. So um, with some clients, we're leaving this meeting with a concrete agreement as to what we're, we're doing, and we can head straight to you know sending you out a fee agreement and start drafting. Um, with most clients, uh, there needs to be a, a another step in there. Um, typically, those steps are um, a recommendation letter where we kind of recap everything that we talked about and what the options are that we gave for your estate plan moving forward. Um, just to give you something written to refer back to and, you know, to talk with spouse or other family members as to, you know, what it is that you want to do. Um, and sometimes we're scheduling a second meeting because, you know, the, the first meeting maybe brought out some issues that we need to flush out further. And, you know, we just have time constraints or there's information constraints or things like that, that need to, you know, a further meeting to actually design your estate plan needs to be made. And sometimes with that designing, or even once they have chosen a plan and they know what they are going forward with, 
sometimes they just need a reminder of, okay, I want to go with option two, but can you just lay out again, like, exactly what what does this all mean? As much as they have it in black and white in writing, they sometimes, and this sometimes is just a 15-minute call of, you know, just want to check in and confirm this is the, you know, option that we're choosing, and this is what it definitely achieves, right? Even though they have it in writing, a lot of times I find that people just like to talk to us again to kind of confirm that they feel that they're making the best decision for themselves. And I think one thing that we tailor as a firm is that we give our clients the options and it's their choice to choose. Um, I do know some estate planners that will just say, this is what you need. And that's where it kind of ends. Um, But we really don't think it's our place to tell you what plan you per se need we will tell you what ones will achieve all the goals that you're looking for and we'll show you all the options but there's many reasons and decisions as to why people might choose option a versus option c and so we just want to make all of our clients aware of the options out there and they get to make that decision and be empowered to choose what they feel is best for them yeah i think sometimes a way that we we talk about it just to kind of put a picture to the process is we say you know you come in with certain worry boxes unchecked and we can explain you know this type of plan will check off these worry boxes or this type of plan will check off all your worry boxes and it sounds like a silly thing but it's it's really visualizing for for you as the client okay this plan may or may not accomplish all of my goals this plan accomplishes all of them so it's really giving you as Kendra mentioned, the ability to say, yes, this one works or this one doesn't. Um, and I think that's the beauty of this this initial meeting that we're talking about. Come with your questions. Um, we, we have folks who, who write them down or, you know, they're in their notes on their phone. This is the opportunity. This is your information gathering opportunity as well as our opportunity to sort of to educate you on, on the you don't know what you don't know piece. And depending on the plans, you know, an estate plan is a fluid thing that needs to be reviewed consistently to ensure that it still works to achieve your goals. Because unfortunately, there are not, you know, there might be a plan that works perfectly for you today. You might have concerns for the future, but that plan might not be what you want currently. Or you might not be in a position to feel comfortable if you were doing some type of, you know, nursing home planning and long-term care planning, you might not be quite ready for that. And there are times when we do a plan that works for where you're at today. It might not achieve all of your goals in the long run of your life because an estate plan is fluid and you can update it and change it and protect for those things in the future if that's an issue. But um, there are things that sometimes you have to start with one And you change it as life changes to make it work for what you're looking for at the time. And then um, the next step typically after these, once you have a plan actually in place, however many meetings it takes to get to that point, is um, we start drafting. And we, you know, create the documents and um, we go through and make sure that you know, the spelling is correct that you had given us and the addresses are correct and we have all the information needed to create the legal documents and that you understand the actual, you know, language in the distribution scenarios and things like that. We're not expecting you to understand the legalese in big chunks of the trust or of the will or the power of attorney that ends up being 29 pages. The most important page to you is the first and the last. (laughs) 
other than that, it's literally all legal language for banks or courts or, you know, anybody who's going to be accepting the power of attorney. And outside of that legal language in some of the drafting is where we do get very detailed, you know, in the trust or the will of what your wishes are how you want your assets to be distributed, to whom they're to be distributed. Do you have specific assets going to certain people? And so this is where we our documents get the most tailored and specialized is when we are really working on your wishes of how you want your assets to pass. And I've drafted documents that range from give everything to my kids equally, and it's really simple, and it's a couple sentences. And I've gotten into other clients who want extraordinarily detailed distribution scenarios based on whatever motivations that they have. But, you know, they want to make sure that, um, you know, they're, I've had clients who have wanted um, specific amounts of money given to children when they reach specific milestones. Um, I've had specific amounts of money given to kids at certain ages. Um, I've had clients, uh, create formulas and these are, <laughs> these are, uh, accountant clients I've had in the past, He's the <laughs> yes. the <accountants>. <laughs> <laughs> um, who've created actual formulas as to how to, uh, calculate the percentage that they want their child to get each year instead of just, you know, one big lump sum, uh, if they were to, you know, inherit their distribution. So it can be very, very simple or very, very detailed. And most of this very detailed certain distributions at certain times are done in a trust because that is the this is in those situations. Commonly, it is held open for, you know, years and you do not want that to be in the court for that time frame. So when we get that nuance and that specific, it is generally in a trust. And that is the beauty of the trust is that you can get so specific with being sure that your wishes are followed and you have a little more control even when you're not necessarily around anymore. (laughs) Some people appreciate the control from the grave and other people don't. (laughs) Some people just are like, I'm going to haunt my family forever. And other people are like, meh, I'm dead. What do I care? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Once we have the documents settled, on a final form where your wishes are uh, honored and like I said the spelling is is correct for everybody that's which is so important because I have I have a multitude of clients who have very common names and they're all spelled very differently like um, you could have a Therese with an H or without an H depending upon (laughs) what you want or Kelly can have two E's or one E And also name changes through marriages and everything. I have a lot of clients that will get the list of all their nieces and nephews or and then, you know, I get a phone call. Oh, I think she changed to her married name. I'm not sure. Let me make a phone call. I'll get back in touch. And so it really is a lot of times our clients are actually confirming with their loved ones. Did you change your name? Is it still your maiden name? You know, what's going on to ensure that we have the proper names for the documents? So that's actually why we love the questionnaire, even though it looks a little daunting, because it starts prompting you to say, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> 
what's what's their actual spelling of the name? And then uh, one of my favorites is the nickname situation too. So making sure we always say everything in here has to be legal. What's on the driver's license? <laughs> what's on the deeds? Uh, those sorts of things. So that's the the questionnaire at the beginning does you know it, it works all the way through our process. And you know the like I said, once we're in our final form with all these drafts, then we're moving on to signing, and um, signings typically happen at our office because you need two witnesses and a notary for a lot of these documents to actually make them legally binding and to create the full estate plan. Um, so it's important that we can have this, you know, this time at our office where we can provide those two witnesses and a notary. And this is where we'll insert one of our favorite tips. Make sure your uh, identification is valid, up to date, <laughs> has the right spelling of your name. We've had, I know we've mentioned it before, but it definitely bears repeating. We've had some folks who come in on signing day very excited to execute their documents and we find out that their licenses are no longer valid. So that's uh, that's that's a bummer that we don't want to have happen. So uh, start everyone as soon as the show's over, go check your wallets, make sure everything's valid. I think this is a great tip for if you have parents that are, you know, aging and at a point of not driving anymore. I just had a client that they do not have a current ID. Um, and a lot of times I know for one of my grandmother's friends, I used to go every other year to her home to notarize that she is still living to get her pension. And so there are these documents that if the notary doesn't personally know you, they need identification and identification that's still valid. And so I advised her to, you know, bring mom, get photos and do a passport because at least, yes, it's a little more legwork to get a passport, but it's a little easier sometimes. You don't have to go to the RMV, wait for hours with mom, and it will last longer than an um, ID, you know, ID at the RMV. So I've been advising some of my clients to get a passport if they're no longer driving. So at least they do have something and it's easier to renew in the future and keep that for identification because I had another client that I did not, I did not know her. She was introduced by a client of mine. And she did not have any ID whatsoever. Her, they didn't even know where her old license was and she hadn't had one in years. Luckily, her neighbor was a notary and was able to notarize her entire estate plan under personal knowledge. And I ended up being a witness instead of a notary since I could not actually attest to who she was. But that was luck that her neighbor was a notary and knew her. We don't have, not everybody knows a notary and that situation's not always available. Yeah, we do our best to make it work where we can. You know, we'll start making calls. Who do you know that's a notary? Do you know, does anyone actually know who you are and can vouch that you are who you are? Um, but like you said, I had a client, we had to cancel our, our signing, uh, unfortunately. And uh, by the time they got their appointment and got the valid driver's license, it, it, it was almost a month. Um, in, in between the original signing and, and when we finally could sign the documents. So it's an excellent tip just to kind of be on top of that ahead of time so that you're not scrambling, you know, kind of last minute. The signing is kind of a nice time where we get to give you get that breath of it is done. You know, we still have putting together into a portfolio. That's kind of our next step once it's all done in our process. We you know, make sure that we have copies and scan copies of everything that we need. And we put together a lovely portfolio for our clients that really has their plan put together, might have some descriptions with it, different tabs, and to ensure that 
it is accessible, it's understandable if a loved one needs to pull it out. Um, but many of our clients at least have that sigh of relief at that signing meeting to know, I now have these documents in place and they're valid. The moment you sign them, those documents are valid. Yes, there's still some legwork to do with a trust and whatnot, but healthcare proxy, power of attorney, these are now valid. And so God forbid anything ever happened. We knock on wood a lot in our meetings to ensure that we're hoping nothing, you know, does in the near future. But if so, at signing, these documents are in place. And that is a huge, you can just see the weight lifted off our client's shoulders when we're in that signing meeting with them. Yeah, I think one thing too that um, just sort of notes a little bit different um, about sort of this full, really thorough process is a lot of folks think that they're going to walk out the door with the documents on signing day. And for some, that does happen for some very simple, you know, Liz's to Liz's point, very simple plans. Um, but when we're doing a comprehensive plan, we want to make sure, again, I's dotted, T's crossed. So on signing day, you're not typically walking out with that portfolio. We're making sure that everything is, you know, beautifully put together, as Kendra mentioned. And then we do um, either have you come back in to, to pick up the portfolio and, and kind of finish up some of the back end process. But that's one thing that I think a lot of folks don't necessarily realize that's part of our process. Well, and when we do a signing, um, you know, they've, uh, Kendra and Michelle have both mentioned that we're not done after the signing. So we're, when we do signings, we're signing two or three of everything so that our office can keep a full, complete copy of originals and that you're also receiving a full, complete copy of originals with your portfolio. And then not only are we keeping hard copies, we scan everything in too. So we have a digital copy of all of your documents. Um, and then we're also doing the funding for real estate that we end up, um, if we're going to put real estate in trust or we're going to change a deed in some way, shape or form, we have the ability at our office to scan uh, the those new deeds or trustee certificates straight into the registry of deeds uh, right from our computers and be able to get everything funded and recorded for you right then and there. Now, Obviously, we're not going to do that at the signing meeting because <laughs> sometimes the registry of deeds has a two or three hour wait on those uh, on those recordings to make sure that they're valid. Um, so we're not going to make you sit there and wait for that. Um, but those are like the steps that we're taking after the signing to make sure that everything is complete and comprehensive for you when you do get your final product. And so once that signing's done and we are working on the portfolio and putting that together, that normally is either mailed out to the client or sometimes they swing in just to pick up their portfolio. Um, and then it comes down to what we call asset alignment or a lot of attorneys call it funding. And as Liz mentioned, some of the funding is the real estate, putting your real estate into the trust and we will do that part of it. Um, but then you need to take action to ensure that your other assets are in the trust. Yeah, we typically um, give direction as far as what to do with that, like what to um, name as beneficiaries, um, you know, give the specific name of the trust, the legal name of the trust. But we can't do any of that funding for you because we're not the trustees of your trust. We're not the owners of those accounts. So the you know financial institutions aren't going to recognize us if I call the if I call up you know XYZ institution and say hey Mary would like to change it to her trust they're gonna say who are you and you have power of attorney oh you're just an attorney yeah that's not gonna fly 
And it really depends on the company as to how much legwork that you have to put in. Unfortunately, it could be some legwork and we will do our best if you're hitting some road bumps with uh, with a company or with a bank, but it is you that has to be in that driver's seat to take care of those. Um, but as Liz mentioned, we give instructions and directions how to do it. Some are as simple as logging in online and changing it. Some you have to call and they have to mail you the form and then you have to fill it out and send it back in. And then of course for your checking and savings bank accounts, most likely you have to go into the bank to make these changes. And so it is it is some legwork, but it's legwork that is worth it in the end to avoid that probate court. And this is a wonderful time where if you work with a financial advisor, make them work for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Have them do a lot of this legwork. And, you know, and, and there's nobody better to do it because they're already managing your assets. You're just giving them the information on the new estate plan. So, you know, make them do all of these beneficiary changes for you. Some clients even do that at the beginning when we send that questionnaire. I've had some clients that get a printout from their financial advisor of all of their assets, the type and the current balances so that they don't have to do that legwork of filling in the form when it asks you, what are your IRAs, 401ks, whatever. They just go to their financial advisor and say, can you print out a sheet with all my assets? And they do that and send that along. And they're happy to do it because that means that you're staying on top of stuff and it's likely going to prompt you know, if you've got some work to continue to do with the financial advisor, it's going to kind of have another touch for you, for your relationship with that advisor. Um, so, so they're typically so willing to, absolutely, I'll get you that net worth statement. Let me know how I can help on the funding process. They love to talk to us. So it's, it's a beautiful uh, team approach. But um, a lot of folks think that, you know, once the trust is signed, everything's funded. But, you know, we really need to rely on some outside parties and having an advisor is, is, is crucial. So that is a bit of our process at Legacy Legal Planning. Every firm has all their different processes and, and every firm works differently, but we wanted to let you know how we work at Legacy Legal Planning and if you were to come to work with us, what it would look like. So it's a perfect time for us to take a break and hear a little commercial. Please be sure to call in with your questions the next half at 781-834-9639. We're going to have some true and false myth busters. Have a little fun in the next session. <laughs> and so thank you for joining Legacy Legal Live on WMEX Boston. Diamonds, sapphires, and emeralds. Oh my, this holiday season, there's one place to go for jewelry and that's Rogers Jewelry, President's Place in Quincy. Are you ready to get down on one knee? Rogers Jewelry has a graduate gemologist on site and their GIA certified diamond collection will dazzle you. Their experts will explain the four C's of diamonds and guide you every step of the way. From necklaces to rings, bracelets to earrings, diamonds to colored stones, Rogers Jewelry is brimming with sparkling pieces this holiday season. And if they don't have what you're looking for, they'll find it, usually within 72 hours. How's that for service? Oh, and if you love exploring estate jewelry, get ready to discover unusual treasures from the 1800s to the 1990s. Rogers Jewelry. Check out their new location today. President's Place, 1250 Hancock Street, Suite 111 Quincy. RogersJewelry.com. 
take a moment during this festive season to reflect on the legacy you're building. Whether you're gathered around the fireplace or the dinner table, the gift of peace of mind is one that lasts a lifetime. Wishing you happy holidays from Legacy Legal Planning. Welcome back this evening to Legacy Legal Live with Kendra O'Toole, Michelle Reed, and Elizabeth Caruso. Um, we want to remind you, definitely feel free to reach out to us with some questions, 781-834-9639. And first, if you ever want to contact us and have one of those 15-minute calls we talked about earlier, feel free to contact our office, 781-971-5900. You can always find us on our website, LegacyLegalPlanning.com. We'd be happy to chat with you. And for those of you that might have might just be tuning in now, our first half hour, we talked about our process as a firm. And so if you're interested in learning more about that, that 15 minute call is a great place to start to learn about our process. Okay, so the second half of tonight's show, we thought we'd have a little fun, do a little bit of a state planning, true and false, some myth busting, um, kind of go through some of the things that we find that um, a lot of folks either, you know, you hear through the grapevine, you hear through a friend or a family member who, you know, has done some Googling. We love the Google um, or just some sort of common myth. So we're going to we'll have a little fun. Test your knowledge, too. We'll, we'll, we'll try to pause in between, but we get very excited about these true and false. <laughs> so we'll start with one that's um, actually really quite common. So most of these are true or false. All right, ladies, you ready? Dun, dun, dun. Um, a will is really all I need to make sure that I have a complete estate plan. Is that a true or false statement? False. And why? <laughs> so having just a will directs the court as to what your wishes are if you were to pass away. Um, there are many lifetime documents that come into an estate plan, such as a healthcare proxy and a power of attorney, that are really needed to allow people to step in if you are unable to make your decisions, if you don't have capacity while you're living. A will does not come into play until you pass away. So if you don't have, if you only have a will in place, then you don't have steps to avoid the probate court while you're living if you became incapacitated. It also ensures that you're going to have a probate court uh, trip for your family after you pass away because the will only tells the probate court how you want your assets to be distributed and it doesn't actually give anybody the power to do that without the court giving your family the power. So I'm going to give another silly example. Apparently I'm full of them tonight. But when I when clients say, okay, I just need a will, right? That's all I need. I'm good to go. I always bring it back to food and I say, okay, listen, you're sitting down to dinner and you're really hungry and we're talking about our estate plan and if you only had, you know, the little meat on your plate, but no fun side dishes, no salad, no roll, no, no pasta dish on the side, you don't have a complete meal. So you got to make sure that you've got the full meal. So our will... I know everyone's laughing. There. I'm getting the eye rolls in here. You're getting the eye rolls because you just said salad was a fun side dish. <laughs> it is for friends. me. <laughs> you just don't win friends with salad. <laughs> okay, delicious, cheesy potato, some sort of. No, it's silly, but again, it gives a visual. You, it's not complete, right? You want to make sure that you have a nice, well-rounded meal. You want to make sure you have a well-rounded estate plan. So you've got to include those life planning documents. That, that's my silly tidbit. I told you we're going to have a fun time this, in the second half. Okay, true or false, once you create an estate plan, you never need to update it regardless of changes in life. See, this one's mixed. I agree. Because maybe you don't ever need to change it. 
maybe you, you know, you create one estate plan and it's comprehensive and it never needs to be changed. But you have to keep looking at it and you have to keep holding it up against what your, you know, what your goals are and what your, you know, and then five years from now, what are your goals again? And not even just goals, but what your assets are. Many times your assets have changed over the years and you might have bought a new home that's no longer in that trust. And so you might still have a plan that works, but you might need to be putting it back, putting assets back into it. That funding we talked about on that first half, you might have to be doing some new funding with these new assets. Correct. So like, I'm not going to say true or false because it, it really depends on the client. Um, and, you know, it, it depends on what their life circumstances are. There are very few people who create an estate plan, uh, you know, before they retire that don't ever have to change that estate plan again. Um, because it's almost inevitable that life circumstances are going to change in some way, shape or form. All right. Um, I'll ask the next one. True or false? Trusts are only for wealthy individuals and not necessarily the average person. This is a really important one to talk about because we... It's false. False. Okay. Give you a minute. (laughs) It's false. One of the things that we talk a lot about is um, trust planning is really for any and everyone depending on your goals it does not matter what you have or do not have in terms of assets it really matters what your planning goals are for those assets and i think really if you own real estate in any way a trust is worth it just even if it's just for that real estate if you can avoid probate court by other ways and you just want to have a trust for real estate that is worth it because there's no way to put a beneficiary really in a good way on real estate. And so you can't just say, oh, I'm leaving my real estate to my kids and write that in, in a deed like you would your life insurance policy that you add a beneficiary to. That's just not legal in Massachusetts. So without a trust, if you own real estate individually, it is going to court. Yeah. And, you know, we, we talk about this a lot, but, you know, the reasons why we want to avoid probate is it's because it's a it's a long process. And the reasons why we say if you have real estate in uh, in the probate court, it's a bad thing because real estate has carrying costs. You know, if you have a bank account that goes through probate, money doesn't cost money, but real estate costs money. You have insurance, you have real estate taxes, maybe there's still a mortgage on the property. And guess who doesn't care about the fact that the person who owns the property died? The mortgage company. They want to keep getting paid. They don't care how long it takes to get through probate. And these are things that you can avoid if you have it in a trust. And if you really are against a trust for some reason or estate planning and you have real estate, get a will. And because there are powers that attorneys can properly put into wills to at least take out a couple of the hoops that you have to jump through with real estate going through the probate process with court. If you don't plan at all, if you have no will, there are more hoops to jump through with real estate. So if you are totally against trust, at least a will will help eliminate a couple of hoops for your loved ones. No, that's an excellent point because we do have some clients who say, no, I don't probate. doesn't matter to me. I don't care. So that's it's a, it's a really good thing. 
So along the lines of, of what we talked about, trust only being for the wealthy, here's another one that we get pretty much in, in equal parts. Estate planning is really only relevant for when I'm when I'm much, much older. I don't need to worry about it, you know, in my 40s, in my 50s. I, I'll worry about it later. False. As soon as somebody turns 18, they are an adult. And there is nobody that can step in and make legal decisions for them or healthcare decisions for them unless they have put these legal documents into place. Just because your child is still in college and is still on your health insurance until they're 26 years old, you have no legal authority to make healthcare decisions, find out some information from the doctor, maybe deal with the college paying tuition. And so, and age doesn't matter. If you're young and you have kids or you're getting married, you need these documents to ensure that people can step in if you're unable to make decisions during your lifetime. But also and to be sure that your assets are passing the way that you want to, no matter what age you are. We all, you know, when you start working, no matter what job it is or whatever, you start accumulating and saving in some way, whatever that means to you. And so be sure that your wishes are followed and not the state law. All right. Next one. Naming beneficiaries on financial accounts and insurance policies Eliminates the need for probate. True or false? I also think that can be a kind of, it depends. <laughs> um, yes, you would hope that you say false because the beneficiary is what would trump and, and say what happens and where it goes versus it doesn't, it doesn't have guidance over a will. The will can say that it goes to person X, but if your beneficiary says it goes to person Y, it's going to person Y. But the reason I say it depends is because if you're not reviewing your beneficiaries and something happened to them and they passed away and you didn't add a secondary beneficiary and you didn't update it, then it is going through the probate court. We see this often with spouses. Um, one spouse passes away and that surviving spouse forgets to update their beneficiaries and they either now no longer have anybody on there or all the people they named have passed away. And so that is a one-way ticket to the probate court. So yes, if you have beneficiaries, it can avoid the probate court, but only if you update it and ensure that it is still people that are here. And this goes full circle back to our, you know, you make an estate plan once and you never need to change it. Uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. <laughs> I'm team. Make sure you review. We all are. <laughs> review, yes. review, review. Um, okay, the next one. Uh, estate taxes, our favorite topic. <laughs> uh, I'm taxed on everything when I die, no matter what, right? Every red cent, every dollar. <laughs> False. <laughs> Uh, so there are a couple of different concepts when you're talking about taxes when somebody passes away. Um, most people consider, you know, taxes like their income taxes. Um, those still have to be paid. <laughs> when someone passes away, their final income tax um, needs to be taken care of. Um, there is an estate tax in Massachusetts. Uh, the threshold is $2 million. So if you pass away in Massachusetts with less than $2 million in total assets, your estate will not be taxed. If you pass away with more than $2 million, 
your estate will be taxed for the amount over $2 million. And that's a really oversimplification because there are nuances to the law about what goes to spouses and what doesn't and all of that. Um, but not necessarily if you pass away, will all of your assets be taxed? Perfect. So I think we have a caller that called in with a question. We sure do. We have Charlie down in Plymouth. He's got a question. Charlie, welcome to Legacy Legal Live. Hey, uh, ladies. I love your show. And I have a little bit of a challenging question for you. Uh, This has to do with uh, the founder of a major ladies' clothing company called, I think it's it's called Pemus. I've I've never heard of it. Maybe maybe you have. But here's the situation. It's pretty challenging. The founder of the company has uh, left in his will eleven billion with a B dollars to his gardener. Nothing for his family. Now, the family is going crazy, and they're saying he's not a member of the family. He is not legally entitled to anything. And the uh, founder says, okay, I will adopt <laughs> my gardener, who is 51 years old. He is now my, uh, will be my son, and he will get everything. So... What happens when he doesn't leave anything to his family? Uh, obviously, the, you know, the, they uh, were not a very loving family. What happens now? He's uh, leaving all the money to his gardener. They say, nope, not a member of the family. He's going to adopt them and make <laughs> this gardener his son and to get the $11 billion. What happens there, ladies? So obviously, um, our answer only depends on the information that you have given us. And we don't know what's actually written in all of his documents. But thank you for that challenging question. (laughs) Um, So there are, you know, there, it would really depend on what is written in the founder's estate plan. If If the founder had done a proper estate plan that had... Um, anticipated that they wanted to eliminate um, any distribution to their children, you can do that. If you if you write the words in the correct manner, you can make it so that you do not pass on any inheritance to your children. In Massachusetts, you cannot disinherit your spouse. So if the founder was married, you're not going to be able to get around. Um, there are what's called spousal laws in Massachusetts that guarantee a, a certain amount of money would go to the spouse if they objected to the estate plan. Yeah, he was a widow. He was a widow. Okay, so that eliminates that. Um, so if even whether he adopted the gardener or not doesn't really matter. If the cr- estate plan was written correctly, he would be able to give all $11 billion to the gardener. 
there is no legal <laughs> obligation in Massachusetts to have to provide for your children or your nieces and nephews or the family that is legally your heir under the law. There is no legal obligation to have to leave to them. Yeah, and there's even an argument to be made that he took extraordinary steps to make his wishes quite clear by going through potentially an unnecessary action of adopting the gardener. Can you even adopt a grown adult? I don't think I've ever heard of that one before. <laughs> That's a question for a family law attorney. <laughs> different show, different day. <laughs> well, I thought it was really interesting, and uh, there's been quite a, converse, a lot of conversation about it today. And I uh, just thought I'd get your take on it because uh, I really enjoy listening to you. Uh, you don't uh, clutter it up with a lot of legal, legal jargon. And uh, you're very clear. So thank you for <laughs> taking this crazy question. We appreciate it. Especially, it's a nice question to have this late in the evening, keeping us on our toes. And we appreciate you listening. All right. Thank you very much. Great job. That's like a law school question. That is. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I do remember learning about adopting adults in law school. Granted, law school is a very broad, not always just Massachusetts law. We learned all the law, but I do remember that coming up in certain scenarios. Yeah, and it brings up a wonderful point about, you know, when we talk about there's a, you know, colloquial term that, you know, is often used, you know, bloodline planning. But what, what it means by that under the law here is, you know, of course, children born, but adopted and, and, and legally adopted in that regard. So it, that it brings up that point, too, that we were making sure that all, all folks are accounted in that capacity. But that's an interesting one. <laughs> and my next true-false question really uh, is apropos to our last question. If you die without a will, the state will always take your assets. See how we did that? <laughs> so, you know, we there's a lot of scare tactic out there that, you know, if, if you don't plan, the state will take your assets. And sure, maybe at some point. But there are laws that will force the sort of searching for what we call your your next of kin there there is sort of who's 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 up next in terms of you know the, the ladder of folks in your family so depending on who your your living relatives are um, there is a succession and many times depending on who your relatives are that law does not need to be forced to find these people. Ah. They will come and find the courts to be sure. That Their spidey they get senses it. really develop at that point. But yes, the law, there is a law in place as to who is to inherit. And it's a big ladder of how things play out and who it goes to in different percentages, depending on the familial situation. And this goes to, um, you know, how to control your own distribution yeah. destiny if you don't write it down then you're not going to be able to control who inherits your assets so you know big 11 billion dollar founder if he didn't write down that he wanted all 11 billion to go to the gardener it wasn't going to happen it would have just all been distributed to his children um but if he did write it down then there's a good chance, again, like we said, depending upon how the documents are written, that his wishes are going to be honored and, you know, the 11 billion might just go to the gardener. So it's very important to have all that written down. Well, I'll uh, be taking a career at gardening soon. <laughs> Seriously, right? <laughs> and here's your fun word for the week. Um, the word is escheat. 
when the state takes your money. (laughs) When the state takes your money, it's called escheating to the state. And in my years of practice, I've never seen an estate actually be escheated. Um, I have had to hire genealogists before. Um, I had an estate where um, a woman came here from Ireland. Um, She lived with like second or third cousins and um, they became very, very close, but she never made a will. So when she passed away, her assets still went to her siblings who were alive and well spread throughout the UK. So I had to hire a genealogist to find her siblings in Ireland and England. And those people inherited all of her money, which wasn't a lot, but it was it wasn't nothing either, as opposed to the people who she, you know, loved here in the United States and spent her life with. And it was really unfortunate, and that was all because she had never actually written anything down. And that actually, you know, some it's a lot of bad talk about the court, but sometimes it's there for a purpose. Um, you know, there are hoops you have to jump through, and it's 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 not uh, you know first come first serve. You know, oh, oh, I learned about my my estranged aunt who passed, and I'm the first one who knew about it, so I get all of the assets. The court does actually make you do your homework. <laughs> Liz is laughing, but you know, Kendra and I, one of our um, early, early, early on in our practice, had something similar. Um, three uh, a couple of nieces for uh, you know, they, they unfortunately in this case the family was estranged they didn't get along but um you know the the assets did pass to her next of kin which you know you would hope perhaps that uh maybe down the line that 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 was a positive outcome it did make a difference in these uh, three women's lives but the aunt didn't leave a will and it did end up in family members and we we will never know but that's that's the case there the court will force you to do these genealogical searches um and and sometimes they're interesting but um always time consuming (laughs) and it's that search and sometimes is also just you might know who they are but also where are they now where do they live um i know an attorney i used to work for we had somebody that they knew was out in california um Turns out he was kind of going between a few shelters at the time. And so they actually had to try to find out and hire somebody out there to be able to give him the proper notice and service that he was a beneficiary, which, you know, is a good thing in his situation in hopes of being able to receive some assets, depending on the level of assets. And so that those steps do have to be taken legally and to ensure that those that are entitled to it, whether it's in a will or by state law, do get that benefit that they are entitled to, that that person either has left for them or now the state is guiding who it is going to due to not having that in place. So we have a couple of minutes, a few more minutes left. Um, Going right along with this kind of who inherits, and I think this is an interesting one. I am married, so my spouse spouse gets everything when I die. I know we talked a little bit about spouses before, but my spouse will get everything when I die. This is so loaded. Um, (laughs) So this is a yes or a no. It it could be true. It could be false. Uh, It depends on if it's a first or a second marriage. uh, And it depends on how your assets are titled. Um, If you have the perfect leave it to beaver family with the white picket fence and you know all of your children are from your marriage and you know it's 
if most families are not like that today, but <laughs> if, if that's how your family looks like, then yes, your spouse is going to get everything when you pass away because that's what the state of Massachusetts says, whether you have, you know, if you don't have a will, the state, the intestacy laws say that. Um, if you do have a will, obviously you have control over um, what your assets say. But the intestacy laws are only going to control the assets that are in your name alone. If you have joint assets, maybe they go to your spouse or maybe they go to somebody else. If they have named beneficiaries, again, maybe they go to your spouse, maybe they go to somebody else. Um, if you do not have that perfect leave it to beaver family, and you don't have a will written out as to how you want your assets to be divided or they're not in a trust or, you know, if you have stuff going through probate, then if you have children from a previous marriage or children that are not from a marriage uh, or if your spouse has children from a previous marriage, there are ways that the state has said that these assets get broken up into percentages and dollar amounts that specific people are entitled to inherit. And it's not necessarily everything just going to the spouse the way you would think it might be. I think that's one of the hardest things that people don't always realize is because they think I've been married now. You know, we've been married for 20, 25 years. And yes, we have children from a prior relationship, whatever. But their children's my children, my children's their children, and my spouse gets it all. Well, not if you don't plan it that way. And so I think that that is one of the biggest things that people don't understand is they, they do think that the law is saying, oh, it all just goes to the spouse, and that's just not the case. Yeah, and it's, it's um, you know, for those who are reluctant to plan, what we say is, you know, what's in your mind and in your heart, you've got to get it on paper, and you have to have it done legally. All right, let's do one last one, kind of jumping a little bit back to some of the lifetime and living documents and people stepping in while you are living. A living will and a healthcare proxy are the same thing. False, 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 false. That could not be nor false. What was that true you said? <laughs> so a healthcare proxy actually appoints someone to legally make healthcare decisions for you. A living will, while you may feel very strongly about healthcare decisions, is an opinion of yours that in Massachusetts isn't really even recognized. Um, a doc it can be used by your healthcare proxy to make decisions and to guide your healthcare proxy to the correct decisions that you want, but it is not legally binding in Massachusetts. Only the decisions by your healthcare proxy appointed by a document called a healthcare proxy or a healthcare power of attorney are actually going to be legally binding. What some people do think about in this situation is maybe a most form, which is the Massachusetts Order of Life Sustaining Treatment, which is actually filled out by your doctor. And that is a form where you can choose to make healthcare decisions in advance, like artificial nutrition, artificial hydration, whether or not you're going to be transported to the hospital if you have a chronic illness, uh, a do not resuscitate order, things like that. I would take this even one step further, not about the healthcare proxy side of it anymore, but I have a living will, so it's it says where my assets are going. Many people, I notice, confuse living will with last will and testament as well. They think because they're living and it's their will, it's their living will that's saying where their assets pass to. And that is 
you know, there's your last will and testament that says that, but the living will is all about the health care in that. False, regard. false, 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 false. <laughs> false. <laughs> it's it's very common that we we have clients that confuse the two words, and it's because we're using the same words in two different documents that do two totally different things, and that also goes along the lines of. Mass health. We have Mass Health Medicaid that we've talked about in the mm-hmm. past, and then we have Mass Health Low Income Health Insurance in the state, and we like to call them both Mass Health. Yeah, but I, I will say, at least for these, this issue as far as like being able to make healthcare decisions, Massachusetts has taken it out of the hands of attorneys and given it to the doctors who can actually have an informed conversation with their patients about the what they're making decisions about like and what these actual actions actually mean and what better happier topic to end on (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for joining us this evening on legacy legal live on wmex boston again we're kendra o'toole michelle reed and Elizabeth Caruso with legacy legal planning you can find us at legacylegalplanning.com on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, at Legacy Legal Planning, and call our office, 781-971-5900. We'd love to hear from you and answer any of your questions. Thank you. Thank you.